Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Dr. Katherine Saunders, co-founder of IntelliHealth. Dr. Saunders is one of less than 120 fellowship-trained obesity physicians in the entire country. With 42% of Americans being obese, there's a serious patient demand for obesity treatment from experts like Dr. Saunders. That's why she co-founded IntelliHealth a tech-enabled care platform empowering more providers to treat obesity. In today's episode, we discuss GLP-1 drug coverage, IntelliHealth's care model, and why obesity treatment needs to be both personalized and comprehensive. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Dr. Saunders, welcome to Healthy Returns. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I think with, with your background, this discussion is pretty timely. There's so much buzz around GLP-1 drugs, and with that, I think, comes a lot of debates, heated debates about insurance coverage, the actual efficacy of these drugs, even understanding what obesity is. I think your insights will be really helpful for listeners, so I would love if you could just start by giving a background of yourself to listeners and telling people why you originally chose to specialize in obesity medicine. So I'm a physician. I did all of my medical training at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City. And when I was in medical school, my mentor, Dr. Lou Aroni, who was really one of the pioneers of the field of obesity medicine, gave a talk about why obesity was a disease and how he had devoted his career to developing effective treatment protocols. And I was just so fascinated by everything he said. We hadn't learned anything about obesity to date in medical school. Um, And at that point, I decided that I wanted to do this as my career. So I started to work with him during my training And then a group of physicians, um, team effort to start a whole new fellowship at Cornell. So I was um, the first um, obesity medicine fellow at Cornell and actually one of the first in the whole country to do, you know, specialty training in obesity. And at the time, everyone was like, what are you doing? Why are you going to be a diet doctor? What is this? And so, you know, this was a about a decade ago, and everyone was just really skeptical of my my career choice. Um, but I spent a year with him and the other providers at the Weight Center at Cornell, really learning, you know, everything about the the pathophysiology of obesity, how to evaluate patients with obesity, how to treat obesity, um, and just really developed um, an expertise and a confidence. And then I joined his faculty practice at Cornell, where. I practiced for several years before we uh, co-founded IntelliHealth in 2018 to scale and democratize access to the kind of medical obesity treatment that we deliver. Could you talk more about the specific obesity training that you received in, in that fellowship and what was really different about it compared to your other experiences in medical education? Yeah. So, you know, we, we know so much more about obesity now than people did decades ago. It used to be thought that obesity was just a lifestyle problem, that people just ate too much, exercised too little, and then people could lose weight by eating less and exercising more. We now know that that is definitely not the case. It's not just a lifestyle problem. And obesity is actually a complex, heterogeneous, chronic, and difficult to treat disease. So learning about all of that was really just so fascinating um, and gave me such an appreciation for what patients are going through and what is required to really treat it effectively. 
obesity medicine builds on internal medicine or it can build on family medicine or, you know, general medical training. But what we do as obesity medicine specialists is we do an extremely thorough evaluation of each patient. So we really, really listen to our patients and we ask them a million questions about every factor that has led to weight gain, every barrier that's prevented weight loss. And then we educate them about what obesity is, why it's not their fault, why this isn't just willpower, um, and why most people with obesity lose and gain and lose and gain to the point where it gets harder and harder each time and then nothing's working. And that's the natural course of obesity and what we expect. And so we educate a lot about how it's not their fault. This is not an issue of willpower. It's a disease. And um, we talk about in each person's case, what has, you know, been a contributor. And then we come up with a really personalized plan to talk about how to address each factor that has been problematic for weight. For example, many patients have done diagnosed sleep apnea. Many patients are on medications that are causing weight gain. Many patients have, you know, lifestyle factors or life events that, you know, have, have been problematic. And so unless we really take the time to learn about all of that and make new diagnoses and look at all of their labs to find clues in their labs, it's really, really hard to treat obesity well without this being a very comprehensive evaluation and a very personalized treatment plan. So the way we treat is optimizing everything. So diet, exercise, physical activity, uh, behavioral interventions. Um, and then once everything is optimized and all the factors are addressed, then we talk about if people are good candidates for advanced medical treatments, including pharmacotherapy, surgery, devices, options like that. I think something that a lot of people get wrong is that with the FDA approvals of these GLP-1 drugs, people are just going to go straight to those drugs for treatment and skip all of the necessary lifestyle changes that may need to happen to treat obesity holistically and in a comprehensive way. So has that been a challenge in terms of patient education? Yes, a huge challenge. I mean, there are very few patients who come to see us and don't ask about, you know, can I have Ozempic? Can I have Wegovy? Can I have Zetbound? So it, it's a little bit trickier for us as providers to do even more education and talk more about how this all works and how, you know, we are very thoughtful about which medication we pick and we need to, you know, prescribe a medication in the context of, you know, full comprehensive care. Otherwise things are just not going to work. So to address what you're saying about cheating, totally not cheating. Um, the average patient who comes to see us has lost and gained a million times to the point where their body is so resistant and nothing is working. And if you take a look at data on treatment for obesity, without medical intervention, the vast majority of people will not be able to lose weight and then more importantly, sustain that weight loss. So not cheating, medical intervention is really necessary for, for most people. But yes, it's it's a crazy situation right now. It is like the Wild West where there is so much indiscriminate obesity prescribing with no infrastructure, nothing else. And so that's what everyone's seeing in the media and that's what everybody wants. But we have so many other tools in our armamentarium that are not as expensive. And we often will start more conservatively and only escalate to more aggressive or more expensive treatment approaches as necessary. So it seems like 
the care model is both holistic and kind of in the stepwise manner where, you know, you check off certain boxes, then you move on to, okay, maybe a patient is eligible for pharmacological therapies. We talked specifically about how obesity care needs to be highly personalized, but then let's zoom out and look at obesity from a macro perspective. How much of a public health crisis do you think obesity is today? Obesity is a massive, massive public health crisis. It is associated with over 200 weight-related health complications. It is incredibly expensive. I actually was just um, on a webinar with two economists who are getting into the numbers, and it is just mind-blowing. So we are, you know, we're facing a real crisis right now. So yes, it's a little tricky that, you know, obesity is complex and heterogeneous and requires a personalized treatment approach, but we also have to scale to be able to provide care and improve access to care for so, so, so many people. So, you know, one of the topics is obesity medicine providers delivering the care versus primary care providers. And how do we handle the huge number of people who really need our help? There are way too few obesity medicine providers to be doing this ourselves. I'm still one of fewer than 120 fellowship trained obesity medicine physicians in the country. And um, there are fewer than 7,000 physicians who are board certified by the American Board of Obesity Medicine. So primary care doctors and, and other providers need to be at least even just getting the conversation started as long as they're doing it in an appropriate way. It is not enough to say, or not appropriate to say, just eat less, exercise more, or just go off and lose weight, you know, to be able to ask permission and talk about, you know, new understanding of how weight regulation works and why medical evaluation is really appropriate and indicated, just getting that conversation started. And then being able to start with lifestyle interventions and maybe one or two medications that, that they're more comfortable with, and then refer the most complex cases to highly trained providers like me. Um, so we need to figure out sort of a triage protocol. We need to make sure that all providers have a basic level of understanding so that they can get the conversation started and get things, get things going. It seems backwards to me that you're one of less than 150 fellowship trained obesity specialists in this country, but I think it's something upwards of 40% of all people in the US are either overweight or obese. I think obesity kind of mirrors what's going on in you know mental health care where there's a severe uh, shortage of providers right now, but there's such a need for it. Exactly. So yeah, 42% of the country now has obesity and it's almost 80% that have overweight or obesity. So the numbers are absolutely staggering. And you're right. It's similar to, you know, our mental health crisis where we just don't have adequate access to care. So this is one of the reasons why we started our company in telehealth to really scale and democratize access to this kind of really empathetic, really comprehensive and cost-effective medical obesity treatment. We actually started with software because we were like, wow, this massive supply demand mismatch requires technology to solve the problem. And so we have two offerings. One is our software program and app, which is called Evolve. And the idea is that it supports patients in every way possible on their weight journey. Um, and then it also uh, educates and supports providers to get up to speed quickly on how to do this and have ongoing support and personalized support for each patient. The problem is that we just found early on that there aren't enough providers who have any capacity to take on one more thing. 
And so, you know, we still sell our software into health systems who use it with their own providers, but we ultimately ended up launching our own clinical services to really address the need. And so that's our focus right now. Our software is called Evolve. Our clinical practice is called Flight. We're in all 50 states and we um, are focused on the employer space. So um, that's been a really, really, really exciting way to kind of empower existing infrastructures and, you know, improve access to care. I want to ask a few more questions about IntelliHealth, but before I do, I actually want to talk about the role that insurance plays in all this. A few weeks ago, I was just reading up on how the American Medical Association, they urge insurers, employers, government programs to cover obesity treatments. There's obviously a huge debate about why or why not we should be able to cover these. And I think opposition, they turn to you know, the significant cost. How do you think that employers and health plans and insurers should navigate coverage of GLP-1s? Yeah, it's tricky. I think that there's this idea that obesity management is all about GLP-1s, which it's not. GLP-1s are a really important tool that we use, but they need to be used um, appropriately. They need to be used in select patients. It shouldn't just be see a patient with obesity and prescribe Ozempic. So it's a tricky situation right now, just given the high cost of the drugs. There's also a lot of weight bias and stigma and discrimination that is happening right now that's influencing decisions. When you take a look at um, payers, most of their members only stay with them for a year, two years, three years. But when you look at what happens when you treat obesity and the health benefits and you know the, the really massive reduction in cardiovascular risk that's associated with effective obesity treatment, it takes a little while. And so for payers that don't have their members for too long, it's hard for them to justify paying so much for benefits that aren't going to happen for, for many years. And so that's been the big issue. We need drug prices to come down. They will with all of the competition. There are well over 70 medications in the pipeline. So we're just at the beginning here. Everything is about to blow up, but the prices have to come down. And then, you know, we need Medicare to agree to cover treatment and lead the way here. And then other payers um, will hopefully follow suit. But that's why we've been focused on self-insured organizations who care about long-term health, given that it does take some time to get the return on investment. That's a, that's a great point you made. I think that's true uh, specifically because lifestyle behaviors in general, whether it's for obesity or cardiovascular disease or diet or preventing diabetes, all these preventative tools as you said, they take a while to show up. And I think incentives really have to change between all players in, in the healthcare space right now so that we're prioritizing those long-term benefits rather than just looking at that one or two-year horizon. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we just need data, we need numbers, we need research to change people's minds. And so we have a program with the state of Connecticut where um, we have an exclusive arrangement where any state employee who wants access to medical obesity treatment and specifically the anti-obesity medications comes through us. And Connecticut chose us because they know that we're not just robo-prescribing Ozempic and we're doing everything comprehensively and in a cost-effective way. So we believe that this program with the state of Connecticut can be the model for how other employers, other states can really do this in a way that, you know, meets the, the patient's demand, but also does it in a way where they won't go bankrupt. Um, so we are looking not only at our health outcomes, our weight outcomes, we're looking at cost, 
we are looking at, you know, PBM data, claims data. So we're hopeful that in the next few months, we'll start to see some, some data that, that will um, give us some answers. That's incredibly exciting. It seems like you and your team at Intel Health are kind of leading the way and are at the forefront of all of this. Are you looking to other organizations or specific people or, as I said, players in the healthcare system for further support in this mission? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our expertise, our deep expertise is in the pharmacotherapy. So, you know, for example, we have a partner, uh, which is one of the largest behavioral weight um, employee programs. And so they've been a wonderful partner because, you know, they have customers or members who are using their services for the, the behavioral part of this. But when that's not enough, then we come in as sort of the advanced version or the add-on version to that. So we are highly, highly, highly complementary to any kind of behavioral intervention out there. We have our own behavioral intervention, but but we are more than happy to just, you know, focus on our pharmacotherapy and be complementary to another behavioral intervention. So, you know, there's so many potential partnerships. There are so many potential employers and different self-insured unions um, that are really looking for this kind of care. Obesity, along with so many other diseases, disproportionately affect low and middle income communities. Do you think that your tech-enabled approach at IntelliHealth has helped democratize obesity care specifically for those populations? Yes, and that's what we're really excited about. So, you know, the ability to provide care just as well or even better than we do uh, in person, and we proved that with the pandemic where every, everything went, you know, 100% virtual overnight, um, the ability for us to do that just removes so many barriers in terms of cost of travel, taking off time for work, just a lot of a lot of patients don't want to come in and be seen. And so to be able to do this from the comfort of their own homes and have it be much less expensive and take less time, um, telemedicine has really been, you know, it's so well suited for obesity medicine. And we are so excited about populations that are traditionally underserved. We're starting with one of the Native American tribes and um, really excited about that population in particular because they're at higher risk of cardiometabolic complications and they haven't had the same access to care. So our ability to deliver care to groups like that is, is very exciting. Now with Evolve specifically, helping other types of providers like primary care physicians to be able to treat obesity in the same specialized way that you and your team do at, at the clinic. How effective do you think that has been so far? Is there any specific data you can maybe point to? Or if not, just anecdotally, have you seen that primary care physicians have been better able to serve obese, obese patients? Yeah. So the predecessor version of our software platform was called BMIQ. Um, and we studied that in an 18-month PCORI-funded trial at Brigham and Women's in a population health setting. And so this was not with pharmacotherapy. This was just behavior. Um, but we proved that it, that was a very effective program and that that data is published um, in JAMA. Um, I think it was 2020 um, or 2021. So now, you know, our program Evolve is similar to BMIQ, but much, much, much more built out. And now with pharmacotherapy, our outcomes are significantly better. So we're watching our data closely. And as the next phase of our, our program with Connecticut, um, we don't want to be treating all the patients ourselves. We want this to be spread out. 
So the next phase of the program is to, you know, roll this out to other providers in the state, and they will have the benefit of getting up to speed and having the support of our program. And then we can also use our program to look at insights and data so we can monitor trends and outcomes. That's that's great. And I guess on the flip side of that, um, early on in, let's say, like an aspiring physician's career, what kind of education would you like to see in the medical school curriculum that that supports people? And I mean, I think one thing would be clear, like there needs to be more obesity fellowship seats that are open, right? So people can be trained. But even earlier on, do you think that in medical school, people should be focusing more on on obesity? Yes, I think in all different forms of medical education, medical training, we need, you know, just basic understanding of why obesity is a disease, how to talk to patients about obesity, um, because obesity is associated with over 200 weight related health complications obesity affects every single specialty. And so all healthcare providers need a basic level of education about what obesity is, what obesity is not, how to talk about it appropriately, and for the diseases that they treat, how obesity can worsen or lead to these complications, how obesity treatment can improve or resolve different diseases, and how to factor in weight management into um, their treatment plans. I've been super fascinated about the public discourse, specifically with obesity, and as we've been talking about the GLP-1 drugs. In early October, the CEO of Walmart made some remark about how with the rise of these drugs that uh, consumers are buying less food, they're not overindulging. And I think as soon as he said that, uh, both Walmart and a bunch of snack companies, their stock price fell. I'm just bringing this up. If you have any thoughts on the way the public discourse has gone in general and how you'd like to see it evolve into being more, I guess, aware and educated about actually how to treat obesity and what these GLP-1 drugs mean for comprehensive care. Yeah, there's been a lot of craziness in the media. (laughs) I've been fielding media requests, you know, almost daily for the last many months. Some of these uh, stories are more frivolous than others, but there's a a good debate that's going on right now. There's so much hype about GLP-1s. And as I said before, it's just not all about GLP-1s. GLP-1s are a really exciting and effective and powerful tool. But for someone with obesity these days, if they're, you know, looking at the news, they think all they need is to to take a medication and that's it. But these are really powerful medications that, you know, if prescribed without the appropriate education and support, there's a huge risk for side effects. And so a big part of our responsibility before prescribing any of these medications, you know, everything else I talked about with the evaluation and everything else going on, but specifically for the meds, you know, if we don't educate patients about why we're using these meds, why these meds need to be taken long-term because obesity is a chronic disease, what to look out for in terms of mild symptoms or side effects before, way before they turn into serious adverse events. If all of that doesn't happen, then that's what we're seeing in the media. Crazy reports about severe side effects. You know, sometimes these medications are being prescribed with zero education and support. They're also being prescribed to people who are not good candidates who have contraindications, whose VMI is too low. You know, there's so much talk about compounded medication. We don't even know what 
some of these compounded whatever it is is like we just don't know so it's really scary we've been seeing really bad outcomes from who knows what people are taking and the fda has come out to say do not recommend compounded medications but it's tricky because people are reading that these are miracles and you know, it's so expensive to pay if you don't have insurance coverage for the FDA approved meds that, you know, I understand why people would think to do this, but it is not regulated, not safe. So yes, the, the media right now is, it's, it's an interesting time. I think it's good that uh, there's more of an understanding that obesity is a disease that requires medical intervention. But what we're missing here is that it's not just about GLP-1s. So what I'm hearing is less headlines that use the word miracle drugs and less headlines saying, you know, I, I saw one the other day. It was like, uh, here's what here's what Ozempic means for like your holiday food plans or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it get, yeah, I mean, I definitely laughed at seeing it. But I think, you know, to your point, when so many people read it and then again, the public discourse is just surrounding very inflammatory articles like that are pretty polarizing. It's either all in on the GLP-1 drugs or all out and, you know, oh, it's another drug that they're trying to push on us. So it's important that people like yourself who are experts in the space continue to, however tiring it may be, but continue to, you know, go on certain media outlets and, and actually explain what, what's going on here. Yeah, um, I was laughing because I was actually on Good Morning America, I think the day before Thanksgiving, talking about how these medications change people's experiences of eating during the holidays. So there's a lot of that going on right now because so many people are on these medications and, you know, have questions about how to eat differently and how it affects their holidays. But yes, the the media focus um, has been a little crazy. And you're right. I think more people who, you know, talk about the science of this and, and what's going on here, you know, need to um, need to just keep keep talking to reporters. I want to move away from the GLP-1 drugs, move back into the lifestyle interventions that are necessary to treat obesity. Outside of pharmacological approaches, what systemic changes, whether that be in policy or, and we spoke a little bit about education, like, would you like to see, and this can be related to food, it can relate to exercise, access to care, even other disease etiologies. Mm, yeah. So in terms of the lifestyle modifications that we recommend, I hate using the word diet. I never want people to feel like they're on a diet because this has to be long-term treatment because obesity is a chronic disease. So if you go on something that you can only sustain short-term, that is not helpful. So in terms of the best dietary strategy, we really talk to patients about uh, what works for them and how to kind of make modifications to figure out a plan that is reasonable for them, that can be sustainable for them. So that's how we handle diet. In terms of exercise, there are exercise guidelines about, you know, recommendations for the weight loss phase and for the weight maintenance phase. Um, so we always, always talk about exercise as part of this. We talk about self-monitoring. We talk about other lifestyle changes. Um, in terms of policies, I think that prevention is something that we don't have as much time to talk about these days because we're in an obesity epidemic and we need to be talking about treatment too. But prevention is really, really, really important. Our numbers are not improving. And 
obesity etiology, it's so multifactorial. So a huge part of this is genetics and biology, but obviously uh, environment makes a difference. And that's, you know, there's so many obesogenic factors in our environment that have led to the really high numbers. So, you know, policies to improve the foods that we have available to us. I mean, if you take a look at the data on ultra processed food and what it does to appetite and weight and how we store fat, I mean, it is just amazing. So just common sense kind of going back to eating real food and trying to avoid foods that are packaged, processed, really refined, added sugar, artificial sweetener, like chemicals, and just going back to the basics goes such a long way, but there's so much money in the food industry that it's tricky. And, you know, I have a couple of little kids who love to open packages and it's so exciting and juice boxes are fun and it's really so ingrained in our culture. So it's going to take a lot of work, but we're up against a lot, a lot. I love that last point you made, because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. When I think of prevention, I think of how can we instill healthier habits in children? And then specifically with the food industry, how there's such little regulation about how they can market to children. I mean, I remember growing up, whenever I'd watch TV, I have these jingles in my head about, you know, specific like ultra processed cereals and all these snacks. And those are the ones I remember, right? I'm 22 years old and it stuck with me for 15 plus years. Whether I know it or not, that probably has an influence on what I consume on a daily basis and what I'm more likely to buy at the, the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it is really tough to fight all of this marketing. What would you like the average patient, the average consumer to understand about obesity? Like what, what would you want to leave people with beyond understanding obesity as this complex disease pathway? Obesity has been so misunderstood for so long. So I guess specifically to people who have been struggling with their weight and blaming themselves, there is so much blame. There's so much shame. I want to just really make it clear that this isn't a matter of willpower. This isn't something they've done wrong. Our bodies basically have evolved to be really good at not starving. So anytime somebody tries to lose weight, their body has these powerful anti-starvation responses that make them more hungry, think about food more, metabolic rate slows down. And so anytime someone tries to lose weight without a medical intervention, or even with a medical intervention, your body fights back. And at a certain point, you know, unless you're on a medication or you've had surgery, if this is just a lifestyle intervention, people keep regaining the weight. And so, so many people are looking for different answers and it's such a vulnerable population and there's just such a predatory industry out there. But I really want people to understand that if they're having a hard time with this, this is not their fault. And there may be so many different factors that they're not even thinking of that are contributing. So it does make sense and to, you know, have a medical evaluation and there are treatment programs that don't have to include medications, don't have to include surgery um, that really work. And we're at a really exciting time right now where people who have struggled with weight their entire lives and thought that nothing would ever, ever work. They've given up all hope. Now they're hopeful and they're losing weight and it's really great. Dr. Saunders, thank you so much for your time. I really commend the work that you and your team are doing at IntelliHealth and in just democratizing OB specialized obesity care to everyone. Before you go, if you could just 
maybe tell listeners how they can follow your work and the work of IntelliHealth and how they can support Sure. Uh, I And thank you for all of your very nice comments. It's been so wonderful to chat with you, Nolan. You have really great questions, and I really commend the work that you're doing. Um, so we are on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me personally on LinkedIn, Catherine Saunders. Um, IntelliHealth is on LinkedIn. We're also on Facebook and X under IntelliHealth. We also have a lot of information our, on our IntelliHealth website. Um, and for patients who um, are interested in care, if they qualify, um, our flight practice, the website is joinflight.com. And it's F-L-Y-T-E. Thanks so much, Dr. Saunders. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This is great.